buckle up, we are going to fly tonight. So Isaiah chapter 31, and 32, and 33, and 34, and 35, Lord <laughs> willing, we are going to move. If you have been in the study of Isaiah with us, um, the reason I chose to speed up the pace for tonight and probably next week as well is because this is just Isaiah continuing to flesh out the ideas that we've covered for the past three months, that judgment is coming upon Judah. Chapters 28 to 33 are speaking specifically to the woes upon Judah, and so uh, these are things that we've all heard before. The language in chapters 31 through 35 might be a little more poetic, a little bit different, what have you, but um, it's, it's repeating the same thing over and over again, and so we want to just uh, press through these chapters. We'll draw out some things and, and what have you, but let's pray and we'll get into our chapter. Father, we thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, Lord, and just to set our hearts right again to remember that our lives are worshiped toward you, God. And uh, Father, as we now study your word, um, I pray that we would learn from the mistakes that Judah made, uh, the nation of Judah made, and God, that we would render our hearts unto you and to you alone, that we wouldn't seek solace in the, in the kingdoms of this world or in the things, the arm of the flesh. Uh, the things of the flesh, God, but that we would find our peace, our hope, our joy, our strength, our, our provision in you, God, and that we would seek first the kingdom of God and trust that you will provide for us, Lord. Uh, just bless this time in your study. Now we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. Egypt was known for their horses, who trust in chariots, they were known for their chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So this is the warning that we have heard previously in the book of Isaiah. God is frustrated with His people, the nation of Judah, because rather than turning to God in their need. you got to remember that all, all the while this is happening, Assyria is pressing on, has already conquered Israel and is now pressing on the nation of Judah. Assyria, the, the, the kingdom of Assyria is going to rise up to the city of Jerusalem before God steps in and rescues the, the city. And, and the people of God are watching all of this happen. The fear in them is rising. The doubt in them is rising. They're wondering what to do, and rather than turning to the, their strength, rather than turning to God in this moment, they make an alliance with the nation of Egypt. They, they send a bunch of money down to ally, ally themselves with, with Egypt, and, they, and Egypt is always a picture of the world in, in the Bible as, as the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, just like when you and I give our lives to Christ, we come out of the world it's the same picture, and, and you never want to turn to the world as a follower of Christ. We should, God should be our first resort. The Lord takes note when God, when He is our first resort. The Lord pays attention when we turn to Him first. He notes when we don't turn to Him first also, but 
He takes special note, you know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, he takes note of when we seek him first. And that's what he's begging here of the people of, of Israel. Why turn to Egypt? Why would you do that when God has more resources than Egypt? He is our provider. He is our strength. And, and, and we need that perspective. You and I do today. As we face crisis, as we face trials and difficulties, what's the first button you push? If it's not going to God in prayer, maybe you need to get your priorities rearranged. I know I make that mistake often. I know I fall short in that many times, that I'll try to fix this myself, or I'll try to reach out for help to my friends or my family or my whatever. And it's often times that I'm after the situation and going, Lord, I should have turned to you. Had I, had I turned to you first, what, how would this have been different? How would I have grown in this matter if I had turned to you first? And that's what he wants here. So it says in verse 2, Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster. He being capitalized, speaking of God there. He also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers, against the help of those who work iniquity. There's almost a holy sarcasm there in verse 2. You could turn to Egypt, but God's wise too. Maybe you could turn to God. He's, he, he might know what he's talking about here. You know, God does know. And he will be the one that levels. This is God's judgment on the nation of Judah and the surrounding nations all at the same time. It says, now the Egyptians are men... And not God, just in case there was any question. The Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall and he who is helped will fall down. They will perish together. God's saying and setting the record straight. When you reach out to Egypt who you want to find help from, Egypt is going to fall. Egypt did, in fact, fall to the Assyrians. Not only that, you're going to fall as well, because you've reached out to them instead of reaching out to me. How about this? The best of men are at best men. Right? The best of men are at best men, when we could be reaching out to God. For thus the Lord has spoken to me, in verse 4, as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he, the lion, will not be afraid of their voice nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. Neat picture here as you, a lion would come in and steal a sheep from a, a shepherd's care when the shepherds gathered to try to go rescue the, the sheep from the lion's mouth, you didn't have a shot of getting that sheep back. Once, the, once it was in the clenches of the lion, once the, once the paws were sunk into the sheep, you weren't getting it back. That's the point here. And God is saying, just like a lion defending its prey, that's how I'm going to defend Mount Zion. You aren't, you're not coming against this. You're not going to overtake this. Nothing is going to stand in my way. He'll defend Mount Zion like a lion defends lunch. Verse 5, like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. 
return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. And throughout the book of Israel, we've seen this call to repentance, the continual wooing of God, calling his people back to him. To repent means to recognize you're going in the wrong direction, to turn around, to do a 180 and turn back toward God. Return is the word in verse 6, against Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. They're running in the wrong direction. They've revolted. And the call is, and it's always present, a call to return return or to repent. For in that day, every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. Sin, which which your own hands have made for yourselves. In that day, when you return to me, you'll set aside the things that you have chased after. Those things are, there are idolatrous. Those are, God has an issue with the things that we place in the throne that he deserves. We have a throne in our hearts that God rightly deserves. And, and when we place things in that throne, God takes issue with that. It's called idolatry. It's uh, you know, like the number one commandment, I believe. And so, you know, he's like, you, thou shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have idols. And so while we don't necessarily cast idols of silver and gold and put them up in our houses today, we have things that we put in the seed of God in our hearts. And those are just as idolatrous as this little statues they worshipped back then. What's your idol? What's the thing that you have placed in the throne of God's, in the throne of God? Verse 8 says, Then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man. Interesting terminology there. Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword, not of mankind, shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young man shall become forced labor. It's uh, important to understand that the, the history of what was happening as Isaiah was prophesying, Hezekiah being the king, Assyria coming down. Uh, you can read the history in um, 2 Kings, like chapters 17, 18, 19. 19 is when um, the angel of the Lord comes in and wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. The God of the angel armies. One angel wipes out 185,000 in one night. That blows me away every time I say it. It should you too. I mean, that, you know, it's not one-on-one fighting. Imagine you know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, I could call down a legion of angels. Imagine what that would do. 10,000 angels. If one wipes out 185,000 in one night, imagine what 10,000 might do. But it says there in verse 8, then Assyria shall fall by a sword not of man. Uh, not of man. It's, it, in fact, is exactly what happened as the angel came and wiped out the Assyrian army as they were ready to um, take over Jerusalem. God defended them. Verse 9, he shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. So now again, we're focused and and Isaiah has done this throughout the book, bouncing between what was happening in that day with the judgment looming 
and looking ahead to a kingdom age, which has yet to happen, even though we live in 20, almost 16, um, we're still waiting for that kingdom age to come when Christ will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice, is again focused on this kingdom age, the king. It, doesn't, it says a king, and we're talking about the king will reign. Yeah, capital K, Jesus. I guess that'd be capital J too. Capital K, king, capital J, Jesus is what I meant. <laughs> verse 2. Hopefully you're following along. If you're not, you don't have a chance of staying up. Um, verse 2 of chapter 32. A man will be hiding, uh, sorry, a man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, as a river of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. All those things are positive things, all those things are good things, and that's what the king who will reign in righteousness will be like. His reign will be refreshing. To have a political leader, to have a, a governmental leader whose reign is reflect, refreshing. Sounds pretty good, yes? Verse 3, the eyes of those who will see will not be dim, and the ears of those who, will, who hear will listen. So there'll be no more spiritual deafness or blindness. Jesus will be teaching Bible studies from Jerusalem in the kingdom reign. I'm looking forward to that personally, um, sitting there and listening to Jesus teach his word. Verse 4, also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. God is going to set the wrong right. The foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful. For the foolish person will speak foolishness and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. Ever been so parched? Usually after eating pizza, you know, about an hour after eating pizza, you're dying of thirst. And just that first cup of water doesn't cut it. That's the idea. You need more. So verse 7, also the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. So in that day, when Christ is ruling and reigning, corrupt and godless leaders will be exposed. There'll be no more pretenses. Nobody will be able to fool anybody and say one thing. There'll be no airs about people or lies. Everything will be fully exposed. Verse 8, but a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. That's a great principle. Chapter 32, verse 8, should be one that we should mark. A generous man devises generous things. What are you planning? Are you planning to be generous? Are you, are you making way that you might be generous with what God has given you? Live generously. As followers of Christ, that should be our motto. That's the way we should live, because God has been generous to us, has he not? If we were to devote ourselves, if we were to make plans to devise ways to be generous, how could that go bad? If we, in the name of God, give away what we have to be generous to others and care for others, certainly God would see that and meet our need according to his righteousness. Certainly God would take care of us. To be generous is a good thing. 
I have to testify, our family, the Rogers, has been, a has been the recipient of generosity this year, especially in the last month. To see the way God has moved over the people of God in the last month to care for our family and to bless our family in so many different ways that I could share with you. It's just such a joy to see generous hearts and, and to be generous. There's no, no greater pleasure in life than being generous. To give, to meet somebody's need, to care for somebody else. As it was said of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. So be generous, devise generous things, and by generosity we will stand. Verse 9 now directs the attention to women. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 9, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. This is interesting because, like it or not, God, through Isaiah, has been railing on the guys for a while now. Like 32 chapters. <laughs> and we need that as men to be beaten over the head continuously by God, not by Never mind. But, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting here, and, and what God is saying in this verse is that, ladies, you're responsible for your actions as well. Women are held responsible in the kingdom of God for the things that they do. You women who are at ease, hear my voice. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. The, the way Chuck would say this, and I think this is a perfect um, description, uh, women are a more accurate barometer of a society. And when women have fallen, the society has fallen. If men fall, but women still strive for holiness and righteousness, there's a chance that their strength will turn the men. But if women fall after the men have fallen, the society is shot. There's just no hope. And, and so as you consider a nation, as you consider the fall of a nation, very often if you trace what has gone with the morality of women, you can trace the, the falling of a nation. And so this is a wise word to you ladies, that you would rise up and that you would um, hear God's voice. It says in verse 10, in a year and some days you will be troubled, you complacent women, for the vintage will fail, the gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, make yourselves bare, and gird sackcloth on your waists. The idea being there, if you've been walking in complacency, not not investing yourself in the Lord, the proper response is to mourn, is to repent. The, to gird sackcloth was an indication of mourning in those days. And so the idea is mourn over your complacency and do something about it. Turn toward the Lord and, and repent toward Him. It says, people shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. In those days when even the women have fallen, everybody will be wishing for the days of old. And when you hear that from, uh, from people in church, oh, I wish it was like, you know, I wish it was in the days of the 70s. I wish the Lord would move like the olden days. That's a good indicator that 
that people have turned their hearts away from the Lord and they're no longer seeking Him with, gener- with um, uh, genuineness. No, we don't want to wish for the days of old. We want God to move fresh and God to move new today. We want the, the movement of God to be stronger today than it was then. And, and not to worry about what has happened in the past, but to turn our eyes toward Him. Stop wishing for the old days. Verse 13, On the land of my people will come up thorns, briars, yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and the towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Because of the judgment that was coming, because of what God was bringing, the city was going to be laid low for a long time. 70 years unoccupied. Well, a lot of thorns, a lot of briars grow up in 70 years. A lot of brush needs to be cleared. When you leave a place empty, you know, animals move in and and take over. All because they would not turn their hearts toward the Lord. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. That's ultimately going to be fulfilled in that kingdom age when God is ruling from Jerusalem. The land will be very fruitful in that day. It's going to be better yield than Monsanto ever would have, right? When the Lord lends His hand to the crop, it will be a far better yield than anything we could produce today. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Jesus ruling from Jerusalem, as we learned on Christmas Eve, and you've you've known this before, but from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus, one of the titles of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that verse 17 is a beautiful verse. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. With four kids in the house, I value quietness. I appreciate quietness. We play the game once in a while. All right, let's play this game. Next person talks, gets whacked. (laughs) He will bring quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Sounds divine. Though hail comes down on the forest, and the city is brought low in humiliation. Even in the kingdom age, there'll be those who attempt to rise up against God. And in that day, Jesus will act swiftly and justly to preserve the peace of the city. It says, Blessed are you who sow beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey finish the chapter. Chapter 33 is the record of God's promise to overthrow Assyria, that they were going to fall. And what is true of Assyria, one of God's enemies, is true of all of God's enemies. And we can take hold of that today. God will be victorious. There, there, none shall thwart him. None shall overcome him. And what, while we read chapter 33 and what happens to Assyria, we can take hold of and the, tr- and pro- the promise of God to say, that's going to happen to all of his enemies. It says in 33 verse 1, Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. 
And you who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you, when you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. This is a, a warning to the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, who, when, when Hezekiah um, heard that the, king, that the army of Assyria was mounting against them, uh, Hezekiah made a mistake and, and sold a lot of the stuff out of the temple and tried to raise this offering to the king of Assyria in order to buy peace. It failed. It didn't go well. And even though Hezekiah made a mistake in that, he sent the offering up to him, and the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, received the offering and then attacked anyway. <laughs> so he received the offering of peace, but then dealt treacherously with the nation of Israel. So this is a woe to the king in verse 1 to say, you've dealt treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. Love, verse 2. O oh Lord... Be gracious to us. We've waited for you. Be their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. As the, the army was mounting, as their fear was growing, Isaiah just cries out the, the prayer of those that were still chasing after God, this godly remnant that was found even in the nation of Judah. There were people that were still chasing after God's heart. And Isaiah is voicing the prayer of those people. Be gracious to us. We've waited for you. I think that's a good prayer for us going forward in 2016. Lord, be gracious to us as we wait for you. And then we set our hearts this year toward waiting for the Lord, who is our salvation in the time of trouble. That we would fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, be gracious to us is a good prayer for us as we go forward. At the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nation shall be scattered, and your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of a caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts, he shall run upon them. So when God brings the pain against the nation of Assyria, it's going to come full force. And he likens it here. The victory for God is easy, like picking up a caterpillar, right? You and I, you played with the, the um, what are they called? Woolly, roly polies, woolly, yeah, thank you. You know, fuzzy little things. You, that you're easy to, those are easy to pick up. You don't have trouble with that as a human. That's how easy the victory is for God, you know? It's like picking up a caterpillar. And then... He likens it to the running of to and fro of locusts. If a locust is running to and fro, he's doing that to eat the crops, and he's wiping out the crops. So the, the victory of God is going to be easy, and the victory of God is going to be complete. Devastation. Nothing will stand against what God is bringing. Verse 5, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is His treasure. Ultimately, verses 5 and 6 there are fulfilled in the age to come, the kingdom age, when He will dwell there. Justice and righteousness, wisdom and knowledge, strength of salvation, all wonderful things. Surely their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace will weep bitterly. 
The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. In that day, because of the presence of the Assyrian army, the, the travel to and from Jerusalem had stopped. The people of God are living in fear. The highways were laying in waste. It says the earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is shamed and shriveled. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Verse 10, important. Now I will rise up, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. God's timing is perfect. We need to rest assured in that. He hears the prayer offered back in verse 2. Lord, be gracious unto us. Be our strong arm. He hears that prayer, and God answers that prayer. God hears your prayer tonight, given in earnest to Him. And He will move in His perfect time. He says to the nation of Assyria in verse 11, You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. The plan of Assyria um, shall bear no fruit. And the people shall be like the burnings of lime. Like thorns cut up, they shall be burned in the fire. So he likens the victory to picking up a caterpillar and watching locusts to and fro. And now he, he likens the devastation to burning lime and um, burning thorns. The idea of burning lime was it was a complete devastation. Lime would wipe out everything as it was burned. And then the idea of burning thorns that were cut up, thorns burn very quickly. And so God's judgment, God's work of them is both thorough and quick. 185,000 fall in one night, that's pretty quick. Here, you who are far off what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might, says the Lord. This, the, the work of what God is doing, the news, the word of what God has done will spread and people will hear about it. And then look at verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among you shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Because of the news of what was happening to the Assyrians, God's sinful people will become afraid. And rightfully so. When somebody whoops your enemy, you have a great fear of that person who whooped the, the person you were afraid of, right? Doesn't that make sense? If, 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 you know, if I have something that I'm afraid of and something bigger comes along and wipes out that thing which I'm afraid of, then that whoever that presence was gets my respect. That's what I mean by fear. It's not that necessarily we would be afraid of God, but that we would have a deep reverence for Him because He destroys our enemy. And that's what will happen. Uh, and it, says, it says there in 14. 15, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ear from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. So they, verse 14 ended with a question, who among us shall dwell, with ever, uh, shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And the answer, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. 
if you want to continue to walk with God and, and not fear His judgment that is coming, then walk rightly and speak rightly. Um, despise the gain of oppression. Um, refuse bribes. Live holy. Verse 15 is the prescription of living holy. We want to live righteously unto our God. Verse 15 is a great start. He will dwell on high. His, his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. God will sustain the person of verse 15, the person that's choosing to walk rightly. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. This is speaking of Jerusalem in the kingdom age. What a, what a fantastic thought. Our eyes will see the king in his beauty. Man, to behold him, to, to lay eyes upon Jesus. How wonderful a thought that is. How glorious a thought. And one that I look forward to with all my heart. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Man, that's going to be amazing. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech beyond perception, of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. All of our pain in that day, all of our sorrow will be a distant memory as we look upon our King. Verse 20, Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. His kingdom will reign forever and ever. But there the majestic Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. He will save us. Your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen their mass. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of great plunder is divided. The lame take the prey. And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Verses 19 to 24 is a, protect, a, a picture, rather, a picture of God's protection and provision for his people in the holy city. Chapter 34, verse 1 Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed, you people. Let the earth hear it, and all that is in it, the world, and all the things that come forth from it. God is saying, Listen up, people. Chapter 34 is now moving from just the judgment of Assyria to moving to the judgment of the world, that judgment that will come, that we are still waiting for, the judgment of the great tribulation. It says, verse 2, For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Notice it says there in verse 2, uh, his indignation is against all the nations, plural, and against their armies, plural. We know that in the Great Tribulation, the, a, a mighty army will amount, amass themselves there in the valley of Megiddo, initially to fight one another, and, and they will recognize that their, their enemy is actually God, and they will unify 
to fight against God in the battle of Armageddon. Also, their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Imagine, imagine like the picture of snow melting off the mountain caps, except rather than it's snow, it's blood trickling down. In Revelation, it speaks of, in that battle, blood being up to the horse's bridle, a river of blood. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on, on the people of my curse for my judgment. God is saying He's going to take everything that He has, all, that, all the force of heaven will become against Edom, it says there in verse 5. And Edom is a picture here of the whole world. We need to understand Edom was always averse to Israel. Edom always took issue and always fought against the nation of Israel. And in the last days and in the days of the Great Tribulation, it's not just Edom, but the whole world, it says, will be against the nation of Israel. We're not far from that. You recognize that? The day that we live in today? Who in the world today actually stands for Israel any longer? We would say that the United States is still an ally of Israel, but what would Israel say about that? Would Israel say that the stance of the United States is stronger today than it has been as an ally or weaker? We're drawing close to that day when the world will turn against the nation of Israel and God will step in and defend his people. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. God is likening the picture here of the judgment against Edom, ultimately the judgment against the whole world, is a picture of a sacrifice. When God is, when God is forced into making judgment, He is always holy in His judgment. And He is always right in, in the way that He pronounces things. He's always perfect in His judgments. You understand judgment is holiness coming in contact with unrighteousness. When, when the holiness of God, when the perfection of God is, it comes into contact with that which is unright, when the result is judgment, and he likens it here to a sacrifice. Verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion's. Vengeance is God's retribution. Vengeance is, is God's recompense. He's paying back what is owed. And what is owed is judgment. Its stream shall be turned into pitch and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. 
That's not easy to say. As also the owl and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. When God has leveled his destruction upon the earth, protecting his people, it will be complete and utter and unusable. They shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and, its, and all its princes shall be nothing. And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be the habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also, the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow's snake shall meet her nest and or shall make her nest and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also the hawks will be gathered, every one with her mate. So verses 11 to 15, talking about after God has leveled his judgment on the land of Edom, the land will be decimated, dominated by animals. If a land could be dominated by animals, that means there's no people there. The people have been wiped out. Search from the book of the Lord and read, Not one of these shall fail, not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. God's word is sure you can bank on the word of God. It's better than FDIC insured. So, He has cast the lot for them, and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever, from generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. So chapter 35, we're going to cruise through this and we'll be done. Um, looks again at the kingdom age. Chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Think about that. In the kingdom age, in that time when Christ is ruling and reigning, even the desert will be in bloom. It will be Even the, the wasteland will be a pretty place because He is ruling and reigning. Look at verse 2. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. All the land in the, in the region is going to be plush. It'll be as if it were, you know, the, the places that they talked about and that were fantastic to dwell in those days were Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon those that are given here in this verse. And, and, and God is saying, in that day when God is reigning from Jerusalem, all of the region will be just as Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon. You've heard of the Rose of Sharon, right? And, and so all, even today, if you were to look, even before we get to that time when God levels His judgment against the earth, you can see the beauty of the land in, in the nation of Israel. Lord willing, I hope to be there someday and and see all those things, but uh, from the pictures, it just it looks beautiful. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. This is a great note of, uh, um, for us in verse 3. Assyria was knocking on the door. The people's fear was rising, leaving God's people afraid. And the word here in verse 3 is to encourage the godly remnant. When we see people with weak hands, when we see people, our brothers and sisters with feeble knees, it should be on us to encourage them. In our day, may we strive to encourage, to hold on to the promises of God. It says in verse 4, 
Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. That should be a word of encouragement. I had to, uh, you know, as I've, I've talked with people over the days, you know, there's been times that I, I, it's my role to encourage people who are afraid, to strengthen people who, who fear what, what tomorrow might bring. And that's a great word. Your God will come with vengeance. Your God will take care of this. Um, he will save you. Remember, church, we fight from victory, not for it. God's already won. We already have the victory in Him. Be encouraged by that today if you're facing fear, if you're facing doubt. God's already got this. Rest in Him. Rest assured. He will come and save you. Our God is a good God. Amen? Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. You thought I was done <laughs> when I said amen. Just, <laughs> you're like, oh, quick, slap that Bible shut. No. We'll finish the chapter. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. All those things are positive things. The, blind, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer. I wonder if that means I'll be able to dunk. The fat white guy can dunk. <laughs> if the lame can leap like a deer, then I got a shot at throwing down on a 10-foot rim. That's all I'm saying. That would be awesome. I've touched it back in 20 years ago. I touched a rim once. Just saying, that'd be pretty cool. Verse 7. The parched ground shall become like a pool, and the thirsty lands springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. Versus what ACDC sings about. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. I think of it, talking about the highway of holiness, it made me think of the Pilgrim's Progress, and what a wonderful story that is. And that we would be on the highway of holiness, striving after Him. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a glorious way to end, man. What a great way to end the chapter. Everlasting joy on their heads. We shall obtain joy and gladness. No more sorrow. No more sighing in that day. The ransomed of the Lord will return. We'll walk on that highway of holiness. What a glorious thought. Lord, it's our prayer that you would come quickly. Maranatha. Lord, we see that this world is ripe for your judgment. We know that the days are coming when, when you will set the wrong right, that you will make the crooked straight and the rough places plain. God, when you will reign and rule from Jerusalem. We know those days are coming, Lord, and we know that history and this, and this world is headed toward your prescribed end. Lord, should you give us tomorrow or the day after, 
or 20 days from now, or 20 years from now. I pray that every day you give us between now and the day we see you face to face, that your people, your holy remnant, your church, your bride, us, Lord, would remain faithful. Keeping our eyes fixed on you, knowing the day is coming when we will see you come in the sky to take your bride home. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to that day when we're united with you forever in your presence. Until then, fill fill our hearts with your joy and give us your strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.